Hi, this is Phil Bronstein, the editor, and you're listening to a San Francisco Chronicle podcast. Hello and welcome to another installment of Tim Goodman's TV Talk Machine podcast. Dexter on Showtime is one of those unexpected gems that reaffirm how great television can be when nobody panders to the audience. Michael C. Hall, best known as David Fisher, the gay funeral home director in HBO's Six Feet Under, plays Dexter Morgan, a blood splatter expert in the Miami Police Department. At least that's his day job. At night, he's a killer who preys on other killers. The conceit of Dexter is that he has a code taught to him by his adoptive father, Harry, the cop who rescued him and then raised him. Harry taught Dexter to channel his urges and fix what the justice system couldn't. Although there is wonderful writing and plotting, the entire series hinges on a virtuoso acting performance from Michael C. Hall. Not only has he managed to make a killer likable, his considerable and varied acting chops have made Dexter a superbly nuanced character study and a series that ranks in the top tier of all television dramas. Approaching the tail end of the second season of Dexter, I had a chance to do a podcast with the actor who makes it all work. You know, I never get to say this that often as a TV critic, especially of late, but uh, really, really love Dexter. Oh, fantastic. Oh, thank you. Good. I'm glad. You know, obviously a lot of uh, readers of the Chronicle love it. We've been following it since the first season, obviously. But I wanted to uh, start uh, with a dumb question. Uh, why Michael C. Hall? Did you, did you think you were going to get confused with Michael Anthony Hall at some point? You mean Anthony Michael Hall? <laughs> ah, see, there you go. See? <laughs> um, I think he actually is Anthony Michael Hall for the same reason I'm Michael C. Hall. I believe there's a Michael Hall in SAG. Uh, Who's who, done nothing? Who works from time to time and <laughs> commercials, or I don't know. I don't know what he looks like or exactly who he is, but he has the name. So I couldn't be just Michael Hall. I added my middle initial. Yes. Just uh, so I could get in the union. <laughs> get start. And also, before I, uh, I wanted to ask you the question you always get asked, but I think it's important for people who haven't haven't heard you answer it yet. The Dexter Morgan character. You came, you came to him and Showtime right after, not too long after you were uh, David Fisher on Six Feet Under. That's right. And, and I think people at the time thought, I mean, and you've heard this question many times, like why, why take a role that, uh, and I don't really think it's that similar, but people thought, well, it's a little in, in the same genre. Why take, why take a role like that right after you played David Fisher? Right. I mean, there are dead bodies uh, and there are daddy issues and most characters in their way are characterized by some sort of conflict, but beyond that, I, I think the characters are quite different, and um, while I knew that, you know, the sort of similarities were there, I also recognized um, that, I don't know, uh, Six Feet Under was um, amazing. Right. Uh, it was like lightning in a bottle. I didn't really anticipate that I would ever come across anything like it again and i don't think dexter is necessarily like it only in that it you know provided and continues to provide me with an opportunity to play a character who is forever evolving and changing and Mm -hmm. uh, that's unique in television Mm -hmm. uh, i think you know uh as far as the imagination of many of the powers that be in the business, I think it began and ended with David Fisher for them. So to right. be given this opportunity to do something that I think is actually quite different uh, in spite of the dead body element, um, I just I couldn't pass it up. Right. I also think it's different. And um, there, it, it is kind of interesting for people who don't know 
some of your past and that you were uh, you played a very flamboyant character on Cabaret and I was actually in New York uh, and saw you when you were Billy Flynn in Chicago. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> that was great because that, that, I think you were doing that when you were taking a break. Um, yeah, it was in between uh, right. maybe the second and third or third and fourth season of Six Feet Under. I'm not sure which, something like that. Right, and so that side of you is there. I mean, obviously you've done uh, stuff on Broadway before and in, 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 right. in theater. And, and it's in these big, explosive roles, and then you end up playing in two critically acclaimed television roles, you, uh, uh, this character that, these characters that are kind of bottled up and cloistered. How, how was that uh, for you to play? Well, I mean, as far as going from the MC to David Fisher, I sort of um, just slammed all the doors shut that I'd flung wide open to play the MC. Right. Like there was David. Dexter is bottled up in the sense that he keeps a great deal and a very significant deal of himself uh, from the rest of the world. Um, but in terms of the personality he's cultivated, I think it, at least when we first meet him, is a bit more expansive, proactive. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, he's proactive, certainly... that's a good one. Yeah, he's a, he's a real go-getter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he certainly, um, you know, has more than his share of uh, stress in his life and uh, is remarkable for many reasons, fantastical even, but I think his ability to manage that stress is as impressive as anything. Exactly. Now, uh, just to step back quickly, I want to ask you this question. I mean, are you happy that th- at least this season, as, as, as opposed to season one, that there aren't any of those uh, flashbacks to the stringy-haired mopey Dexter you had to play? Oh, um... <laughs> You mean you mean when I played him myself? <laughs> yes, the awkward transition oh, phase. Uh, just just stay tuned. That's all I have to say about that. I did get a new wig. Okay, good. We maybe good. perfected uh, some of those uh, logistical elements, but it's minimal. But there does remain uh, another visit to Dexter's past, in right. which I embody. Excellent. I think Dexter, when it came out, not only was it a surprise because I think people who, who monitored that sort of thing were looking at you in this role and thinking, oh, how's it going to separate? And But you completely owned it from the, from the moment it started. And, and I think that you know, it sort of coalesced also with Showtime really, really taking off. And, yeah, it was um, really a good time to... Yeah, wasn't it? I mean, there's so many other good shows that on that series. Yeah. Did you think coming into this that, uh, you know, I'm going to take this role on, on Showtime and it's a little bit dark and uh, it's, he's a killer and... Did you have any idea that what was going to happen were twofold? One, you were able to sort of get the audience to find the likability in this character, and two, that, that, that it was going to take off and be such a hit. You're always taking a risk, you know, when you sign up for anything. Um, I did know that Showtime was behind it. You mm-hmm. know, I knew that it would be well-supported. I had a lot of faith in Michael Cuesta, frankly, who directed the pilot in five subsequent episodes in the first season. Mm-hmm. He had worked with, um, on several episodes of Six Feet Under, so I had a working relationship with him. I knew the network was behind it, but, I, you know, it was a leap of faith. I, um, I knew that the show was aspiring to do everything it has done. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if we would succeed, right. but I wanted to give it a shot, you know, as far as inviting people to identify and even perhaps sympathize with this person who on paper is reprehensible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, I had the sense that it was all about the tone we set, and, and I think everybody recognized that um, when we were making the pilot. And we managed to strike a tone that 
didn't give short shrift to what this guy was doing, but also invited an audience to catch their breath from time to time and maybe laugh. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I thought that maybe it would be, you know, somewhat of a cult hit, and I think ultimately that's what it is in the grand scheme of things, mm -hmm. in terms of how many people watch the show. Um, right. But it has been um, well-received, not only here, but in, in some foreign markets, too, and that's that's exciting and somewhat surprising. Yeah. Well, there's also the, the element of the DVD sales and and the fact that, especially shows on uh, on Showtime, and this has been true of Weeds, is that if they start a little slower, because people are, you know, I think that when people are looking at their disposable income and they're looking at HBO and Showtime, that it's, it's a big decision. But I think Showtime's have made these big strides uh, creatively with these series, but I think what what happens is that eventually, usually in the second episode, second series, uh, second season, people come to them. So more and more people are coming to Dexter now. Yeah, and and the DVD element, you know, allows people to play catch up. Which is right. Nice. But back to this element of him being likable. That's such a. It's because he's not really. He's you can't call him an antihero because he's not a hero. But it, it's interesting that you were able to get the likability factor on him is really, really strong. And how do you, as an actor, how do, you, how do you bring that out? Because essentially the premise is that, that Dexter, he's human, but he has no human feelings. How, how did you right. tap well, into that? Well, I don't that? know. I mean, I found that the things that Dexter details to support his claim that he's not authentically human make him endearingly human. His uh -huh. claim that he fakes all human interaction is completely relatable, I mm, find. Right. I mean, I think we all know what it feels like to lack a sense of authenticity in given situations. And um, and I think people admire Dexter because he doesn't apologize for who he is, mm -hmm. um, because he is a man of action. And uh, I think people admire the character because you know, we all have a shadow side. Dexter's is, is a bit more formidable than most, and he's really taken unique responsibility for it, you know? Mm -hmm. He presents himself and is presented in such a way that we sort of accept that he has no choice but to surrender to his compulsion. Mm -hmm. And as a result, we're given permission to admire him for the way he manages it. Right. And the fact that he does in reprehensible people and arguably saves as many lives as he ends with the people he kills, mm -hmm. you know, gives an audience permission to, you know, while it is quite ambiguous morally because he is, in fact, killing people, it does give them permission to identify with him or like him or sympathize with him. Or right. Take the ride with him. Yeah, that's the neat conceit of the series is that he's, you know, he's killing, he's killing other killers who deserve yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's crucial. Yeah, because that's the invitation in. Right. But even once you get in, and I think this is also a neat trick of your acting, is that once you get in, had Dexter been played by someone else who, who maybe played him in a different way, I'm not so sure that there would be that, that element of sort of empathy that there is right. for Dexter. Well, and, he's, you know, while he's remarkably capable uh, in a lot of ways, I mean, fantastically so. I mean, if you really break down what he's able to pull off, it's kind of mind-boggling. He's also as sort of deficient or incapable or autistic or whatever you want to call it on other fronts. And I think that sympathizes him. And um, he's childlike, really, mm -hmm. in the way he approaches a lot of his life. I think that endears him to people. And uh, I mean, I certainly wanted to bring out those aspects along with the menace and the capability. I wanted to bring out the genuine 
innocence and cluelessness. <laughs> it's, it's, it gives the audience permission to sympathize with him, to like him, to feel for him, uh, to laugh. Well, that's also one of the, I think, one of the great, uh, maybe underappreciated elements of the series, that it's really funny. Yeah, I mean, it, it, people always characterize it as you know, strictly this really dark, dark world and dark show, but I, I, find, uh, I find it to be hilarious. Yeah, exactly. I think without that element, it wouldn't be palatable. Right. And and that I think really set that that tone was really set in the first season and 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 even more so in the first episode. And yeah. you have that menace which is which is really great but there's so much humor to Dexter and I love how it pops up, you know, like you said it, because he can't relate to people and he get he gets put in situations where you know normal people have to sort of have these emotions and he's just, you know, when he sort of blithely says, "Well, why bother? I don't I don't see it." Or even even if you jump forward to this year, I think it was the about to kill or not kill the voodoo guy, and he, and he making his eyes go crazy, and he's talking about I have the power, and you kind of subtly look at him and think, eh, that's not really true. Yeah, yeah. And I think another key to to the, why the show works was set in that pilot, in that we you're never lied to as an audience. You meet Dexter in the midst of stalking and killing someone. You're not you're not surprised to find that this guy who you thought was some sort of likable, mild mannered donut giver is actually a killer you're introduced to him as a killer and because of the voiceover element as an audience you're implicated or complicit or in on the secret in a way no one else in the world is so just by watching you're kind of <laughs> you're in on it in a yeah. way that no one in dexter's world is right now you know dexter for a lot of ways is he's emotionless in some ways so he's not emotive and you're able to get a lot out of somebody who is who, in many ways, is an empty vessel pretending to be something else. So how, what goes into that for, as an actor? Well, I mean, I think Dexter himself is a bit of an actor. You know, he's uh, very committed to simulating what he judges to be the right behavior. You know, he's spent an entire life practicing that those different kinds of simulations, so he's good at it. And that sort of frees me up to, you know, I, I, early on I thought, oh gosh, how do I sort of keep myself from being authentic? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but this is a guy who's fooled everyone. Right. And, and so if, if that simulation appears to be authentic, that makes sense. I also think that the audience is meant to be somewhat skeptical about Dexter's claims that he's completely devoid of emotion or the capacity for feeling. If that were the case, you know, wouldn't he have felt less inclined to take the responsibility he's taken? I mean, certainly the code his father instilled mm -hmm. in him is something that Dexter initially adopts for pragmatic reasons. It's a way to cover his tracks, not get caught. But he never, he hasn't branched out. And he's been invited to branch out. I mean, he's invited to branch out in the critical moment at the end of the first season by his brother, someone he never imagined could even exist, who is completely given over or consumed by uh, sort of indiscriminate, unchecked darkness. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't take the ride. I mean, he kind of had no choice. The cops were on to Rudy and slash Brian. He, again, from for pragmatic reasons, kind of had to do him in. Um, but that's what I like about the show. It's never it's never entirely clear what's motivating him. 
And, and in and this I, season, especially, I mean, the, the interesting part about it transitioning from what what ended up being a great story arc from beginning to end in season one and a, a great mystery for not only for you, it must have been interesting, but also for the audience this year, it definitely was interesting where Dexter was started the season like really off his game and doubting himself and in, 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 so in doubting himself revealed these emotions that we thought he didn't have. Right. You know, as he's forced into these unchartered waters, he finds himself connecting to things in his life in what might be described as a more human way. I mean, I think the structures he's built for himself, once they start to crumble, that's when he finds he has maybe more of a human connection to them than he thought. But he's still playing at life in a way. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, we all can relate to that. Um, Is he growing this this season, do you think? Yeah, I, I think... I wouldn't say in spite of himself necessarily, but I think what's, what's, you know, he's, he holds up a knife and he's not able to kill this guy and he says, gosh, what's happening to me? I don't get it. And, uh, you know, he just kills his mother. You know, right. he, he doesn't, he can't quite make the connection because for him that doesn't make sense because the story he's always told himself is that a person like him shouldn't be affected by something like that, but he in fact is. I mean, he's carrying around a pretty gaping emotional wound but for a guy like dexter it it remains somewhat uh subterranean right uh, it takes i think i think in a way among other things a story of the second season is him sort of returning to himself and who he is and uh you know the, the fundamental question of the first season is perhaps what happened to me and now Maybe the question is, who am I? Right. And and also the thing that's coming up this season that's really interesting as far as Dexter's growth, if it, if it is growth, is that you know he has those moments that he didn't really have in the or, or had in a more awkward way in season one where, I mean, two examples that struck me were the call that Dexter gets from the kid. And, you know, he's going to go do his uh, Saudi Arabian project and right. on stage. And he just, I think it just really, it really hit him strongly. And also, uh, the flip side of that, the, his relationship with Lila, where, where, where the sex is so, it's just so much more physical and, and, you know. Right. Well, I think, you know, it's, he's at this point in the second season, and I think we're all meant to be somewhat skeptical that it's going to take, but is really entertaining, the idea of rehabilitation or change. And um, I think he's using that relationship to perhaps sublimate some of his impulses. That's a dangerous thing, and I think, you know, there's a real element of danger in that relationship. But I think his susceptibility or vulnerability to Lila has everything to do with that gaping wound that he's not able to consciously acknowledge. An appetite that had been whetted by Rudy, by the ice truck killer. Mm -hmm. This desire for connection and for revelation that I think um, he's, you know, contending with in in a pretty dangerous way and as far as the kids go i mean i think that connection to the kids has always been there right i think it represents you know his connection to an untainted pure part of himself in a way Mm -hmm. um, yeah and and this one of the things about the show that i wanted to touch on briefly was that most of the shows that we see that have voiceovers Right. Uh, they're either a crutch or, or they, be, they can become weak or annoying, even, in, even if they're done very well. But, but in Dexter, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody who would say, wouldn't agree that maybe the voiceover is such an integral and, and fascinating part of it. It allows not only a little bit of exposition, 
in a, in a series that's already written very well, but uh, it allows more of his character to come out. I mean, how, as an actor, how does that? How do you approach that? Because that's a lot of times when, we, when Dexter's had his most funny. It varies from voiceover to voiceover. You know, sometimes it is expository. Sometimes he's providing some sort of counterpoint to what everybody else is experiencing. Uh, sometimes he's you know really grappling grappling with fundamental ideas identity and all those things so it, it's it's a mixed bag i have my own sort of sense of maybe where he's coming from or who he's talking to um that i'll keep to myself because it varies <laughs> it's, it kind of shifts itself but um i think now is that because you know, you know something we don't know or you just don't want to I share think, it <laughs> um no it's not something well it's not like i'm keep these are you know i mean it's always good to have some secrets right but but that's kind of what he's doing. I mean, he's telling secrets. He's you know the audience feels. I mean, they're in on something that no one in his world is. I know I already said that, but it's. I think without that element, I, I really don't know that people would sort of have the keys to give over, right? You know, and right. see the world of the show from Dexter's point of view. Mm-hmm. I know early on, you know, I was in every scene, and when they started to branch out and have scenes that Dexter wasn't a part of, I, I wondered if the audience would continue to see the world from his point of view, and I think, you know, returning to that voiceover element. I mean, not only does it provide essential information about his twists and turns, it also just reinforces, you know, the sense that you're taking the ride with him Right, but two things were important in the series as well as it, as it was going as it is going forward, especially in the second season. That the flushing out of the surrounding cast um, right. and, and developing those characters a little more fully was was important. And, and do you see that, that that's something that really picked up this year? Or? Absolutely. I mean, I think we we have a lot uh, better sense of who the people in Dexter's world are and mm-hmm. what's motivating them and where they're coming from, and sort of invited to identify with them as well. Mm-hmm. I think that was crucial. And what about Miami? you see that as an uh, integral part of the character? Yeah, I mean, series? Jeff Lindsay set his book there, and um, I don't know that I can explain it in words or specifically, but there is something about that place. We, we shot the pilot there, and we shot quite a bit there on location in the first season, less so in the second, but it mm-hmm. sort of maintains a presence, I think, that we established. There's something about the place. There's something about the where it is geographically in the country, there's something about the weight of the atmosphere, there's something about the ever-changing sky there that just feels right. It feels like, well, if there's any anywhere where somebody could pull this off, it's here. <laughs> right. Um, well, uh, touching a little bit on, on sort of pulling things off and uh, just, uh, you know, looking forward, I, I'm wondering, from your perspective, where can this series go and you know, how long the, do you want to play it? It's a shark. I mean, it has to move forward. Mm-hmm. It's not like we can just luxuriate in the day-to-day life lives of Dexter or these other characters. Nor do we, you know, want to want it to be simply like a kill of the week show, right? Which it never has been. No, never. And we'll, especially not this season. Yeah, but I don't know. All I can say is we finished the first season, and I felt really proud of it and had a sense of accomplishment because of that. But immediately thought, what? the hell are we going to do now? Right. And, you know, we've done 
quite a bit. And um, I must admit, I've kind of been the same place, but I think that's sort of the nature of the show. And I don't know how many times we can go around. But right, I, mean, I do think there is there is more to explore, mm-hmm. and uh, there are there are things that we have yet to see Dexter go through and experience. And um, and you know the more we know about him, and the more informed we are, as we are after one season and after this season, after two, the sort of richer our experience of watching him undergo whatever experience he undergoes will be. So. Um, Basically, I don't know. I, have, I, have, <laughs> I don't know at this point. In fact, because of the writer's strike, I'm not even allowed to have conversations about it with, right. with uh, the people who will ultimately be writing the show. Yeah. Now, did you... Well, two things. I'm wondering. I mean, there's, a, there's been a lull in the... Obviously, there's a, been a lull in the killings this year, which is kind of a pause and a reflection of, on his character more. There is a lull, but I, I, I think when all is said and done, <laughs> I think Dexter may well kill as many people this season as he did last season. <laughs> But he's he's not so much he's kind of managing things now. He's not so much, you know, a straight up serial killer. He's sort of he's a bit more reactive right. than active. Right. You know? It does sort of bring up the question like okay, even especially if he does, and he certainly has been setting up some of the kills for future. I kind of like that that detail orientedness of him sort of planning ahead like okay, when when I'm free from dokes and and all this other you know, the FBI and everything yeah, I, I got I got a list yeah, exactly. I love that about him and the minivan, but also, but also right. the, uh, but going forward on that, at, at some point people are going to say, all right, well, how how many people can this guy kill if we go into a third season? Is serial killers generally, well, I'm not going, I don't know, I'm not speaking from experience, but some people there's an expectation that they will be caught, right? And and I mean, we're certainly you know playing with that fire this mm-hmm. season. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, yeah, he's either going to get caught or he's going to have some sort of psychotic break or he's going to rehabilitate himself or he's going to, I mean, you know, the, but yeah, something, something has to give at some point. Right. Um, and how, how long did you see that going, going on? How long do you want to play, I guess, the uh, Dexter or, or this character? This, this I mean, killer? I don't see, I don't see it going on indefinitely. I don't right. see it going on for like six years or anything. Right. Like a law um, and order. <laughs> yeah. I'm basically, yeah. And then they'll, they'll be like, Dexter SVU, right. and uh, he'll kill. You know, he'll focus on killing certain kinds of people. Um, I don't know, but uh, no, it's basically I am um, fully expectant that we'll do a third season, and I'm just <laughs> generally taking it one season at a time, and more specifically, just one episode at a time. And I'm just, you know, trying to navigate the the twists and turns of. A character whose life unfolds in in pretty chaotic ways, you know, and trying to maintain my sense of his truth, which is tricky, because he does, as long as he's going to continue to kill people, maintain some pretty inherently sociopathic characteristics, right. and yet and yet you want to see him evolve and grow, but it it can never be as as sort of simple as. You know, and then Dexter grew a heart. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's going the Grinch. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a twist on the Grinch. So, yeah, it's tricky. Well, and when it ends, and uh, for, I don't know, you've had, you, you would have essentially two great series on two pay cable channels. It would be hard for you to go to a network. But I, I'm guessing when it ends, uh, are you looking for maybe a comedy? <laughs> 
What do you mean? Dexter's a comedy. It sure is, but it's so dark. Like, how about how about like a laugh track saturated, just ridiculous four camera sitcom, just to get your body clean? You know, when I finished Six Feet Under, Dexter was the furthest thing from my mind, so I won't rule anything out. Great. Well, it's you know, Dexter, it's a, it's a fantastic series. And I think that uh, the storytelling in it is is really impressive, and then it can keep that high wire act uh, not only in the storytelling, but also your your acting and, and having Dexter Morgan, the killer, be such an empathetic person. And uh, Michael, thank you for uh, joining us today. My pleasure. That was Michael C. Hall, star of Showtime's Dexter. Thanks for listening, and join me again on the next installment of Tim Goodman's TV Talk Machine podcast. <laughs>